So welcome to Heart City Church. I'm Pastor Joel. Uh, this morning we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, in your devices. We also have it printed in your bulletin wonderfully. John is about to tell us about the wonderful gift that God gives to each of his disciples. And John would actually remember well when he first heard about this incredible gift. The 12 disciples had gathered together with Jesus for the Passover meal, a meal something similar to our Thanksgiving, which we just had. And then Jesus did something really strange. He, the honorable rabbi, put on an apron, got down on his knees, and began to wash the feet, the dirty, stinky feet of each and every one of his 12 disciples. Well, this made everybody really uncomfortable. I mean, Peter just about flipped out. And then Jesus, after he finished, he said this. Here's the new command. Love one another as I have loved you. And as they're standing there with dropped jaws, Jesus then totally kills the party. He says, no, by the way, I'm leaving you. I'm going to the Father, and you can't follow me. Imagine just how upsetting this would be. You've been with him for three years. It'd be awful not only to hear that you're losing Jesus, but then Jesus adds salt to the wound by entrusting you now with his entire mission of love. Imagine being John, hearing that Jesus is leaving and leaving you with his love mission to the world. But then Jesus says this in John 14, Starting in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Friends, this is the gift. The helper, the spirit of truth, is the Holy Spirit. And there's a whole lot that the Bible teaches us about the Spirit. But let's think further for just a minute about why Jesus promises the Spirit at this moment. Jesus has just said, I'm leaving you, but I won't leave his orphans. I will come to you. And the disciples have to be scratching their heads at this moment. Jesus, are you leaving or are you coming? Will you stay or will you go? And Jesus then explains what he means a few verses later in our November meditation, our verse of the month. Look down underneath your bulletin sermon text. Let's recite this together. We've been meditating on this all month. Let's say together, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Now, maybe you've been scratching your head over this verse. How is it, Jesus, that you're moving into my space and you're bringing your heavenly father to? Welcome, friends, to 1 John chapter 4. The wonderful reality that comes with the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells him this because the Holy Spirit brings Jesus and the Father right smack into the middle of your life. 
His goal, the Spirit's goal, is to make your relationship with the Heavenly Father and the Son so real that you won't be able to help yourself in living and loving and living fearlessly. That's what John's going to tell us. This is good news, friends. You know, we see the Christmas decorations up. You may not get a single good Christmas gift this year. It's possible. But it doesn't matter if you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit is your constant Christ connector. The Spirit is your Father fastener. So let's take in the incredible news that John has for us. In 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 12 through 20. Now hear the word of our God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Uh, I want you to join me in praying. Will you turn back one page to the song here? Let us pray the first verse together. Let's all pray together this right now. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Let the presence of the risen Lord come renew my heart and make me whole. Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me passion for your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want us to see the lay of the land before we dig into this incredible text. First, notice the two bookends, how our text begins and ends. Verse 12 begins by telling us that no one has ever seen God, and verse 20 ends the same way. No one has ever seen God. Jesus, who came down and made the invisible God visible, has now ascended to heaven, right? That means God is kind of distant. And we, we're still here on planet Earth. We're called to love as he has loved us. Verses 12 and 19, that's what those say. And there's a sense we're still positioned, we're actually positioned with the 12 apostles at the time John writes this. That's the first thing to notice. Second, did you notice how many times we heard the word love? 
14 times. This, friends, is one of the Bible's fullest treatments on love. And it should perk our interests, because after all, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Isn't this the only thing that we just can't get enough of? Since at least the 60s, there has been so much talk in our culture about love and how much we need love. But what is love? That's what Hattie is asking in the 90s. We're very confused about what it is. Social media, the songs, they tell us that love is a feeling. They say love is attraction. Some say love is any deed produced by good motives, a desire to bless other people. That's love. And some of that is right and good. You ever hear of folks called philanthropists? This actually comes from a Greek Bible word, phileo, which means love in that way. Philanthropists are people who are very generous, who promote the welfare of humanity. Phileo could be seen as horizontal love, man-to-man love. Philadelphia means city of brotherly love. Now, the problem is I lived in Philadelphia for a summer, and that was not much of my experience. So phileo is good. It's love, but somehow it's lacking. It doesn't have the power of love that Huey Lewis sang about in the 80s. That is why John here, again and again, every time he uses the word love, he's using a new word that arrived on the first Christmas. We saw last week that agape love is sacrificial love. Jesus sacrificing his position in heaven to come down to us, him sacrificing his life on the cross. In this we know love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross so anybody who turns to him can be freely forgiven of all their sins and washed clean. Do you know God's love this morning? That love that blots out all your sin and shame and is freely available to all. This is why the Father sent his Son. But John here is writing this because he wants us to know this love, not just intellectually, but experientially. That's why I wrote today's verses. So that, verse 16, so that we might believe the love that God has for us. He wants God's love to abide in us. That's also verse 16. He wants love to be perfected in us, achieve its goal, so that we might then so take in this massive love God has for us from the top of our heads to the bottom of our toes, we can go out there and we can live to love without fear of the future. To live to love without fear of the future. The last thing I want us to notice Verse 12 last week where we left off. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, look at these two things. Number one, God abides in us. Number two, his love is perfected in us. Verse 12 is actually setting the plate. And you can see I divided in our sec- those two sections in our bulletin that follow. John says, God abides in us. Look at verse 13. By this we know we abide. And John says his love is perfected in us which he discusses in verse 17 on. See how it starts? By this is love perfected in us. John wants us to experience these two love realities, to appropriate to the core of our being such assurance that we might know 
fearless abiding. Fearless abiding. That's what I've entitled. It's going to be a two-part sermon series. And today's focus is going to be on knowing that we are abiding in God and he in us. Now, don't hear, by the way, if we love one another, then God abides in us. This is not an if-then conditional clause here. Your ability to love is not a condition that determines if God will then abide in you. No, John's point is the only reason you do love is because God is already abiding in you. Our love is actually evidence that God has taken possession of your life. When you love others, that is proof of it. And that's our first word today, possession, possession. If we love one another, it means we belong to God. We are his possession and he is our possession. That is partly what abide means, a word we find six times in today's text. Now, last week, you probably heard me say that actually abiding is probably better experienced than explained. But John does not want this to be abstract, an indefinable kind of you know, mystical thing. No, John wants us to give us here concrete realities by which we can understand our abiding. Verse 13, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. John says, we know you can be certain you're abiding because you have the Holy Spirit. Now, one meaning of abide is to remain, to dwell in. And that's kind of the sense here in this verse. John remembers that Jesus said as he was leaving, he would come back, that he and the Father would come and live in us and with us. That's what happens when you are gifted with the Spirit. Now, I grew up in churches that made this really confusing. How did Joel know he had the gift? Well, there are certain ways that they interpreted that, and that's not the way we understand the gift. Partly it's hard to understand because it's kind of mysterious. The Holy Spirit is the mysterious member, right, of the Trinity? I think, though, a part of it is because of the idea of how we think of being filled. The Bible speaks about being filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? I mean, I might say yesterday, after decorating this church, my tank was empty. And you'd interpret that as I'm lacking energy, right? And a lot of folks talk and think that way about the Spirit. Like the Spirit is this supernatural God energy that emanates from above and comes down and fills us up and recharges us. Some cults, like Jehovah's Witnesses, say that explicitly. They think the Spirit is only some powerful, mysterious God force. It's like gravity. Jesus is making clear the Holy Spirit is a person. So we need to be asking the question, what does it mean that I am filled with a person? I am filled with a person. Well, on one hand, it is to be in a relationship. It is to be in love. I'm kind of filled with Jamie that way. There's a sense that I take Jamie with me wherever I go. But it actually means far more than that. We need to think of the Spirit um, in a way that he is with us always and changing our reality because he brings the Spirit, he brings the Father and the Son with us. Here's my attempt to illustrate this. Last year, I was taking clinical pastoral education at Bronson Methodist. 
It's one of the few hospitals that can educate and also board certify uh, medical chaplains. While I was in the program there, they actually were up for being reaccredited. Every 10 years they have to do this. And apparently it's like a really, really big deal. You have to submit all kinds of paperwork, you have submissions, you have interviews. But most significant was the day of the big visit from the accrediting agency from New York City. We in the program were all told about this like months in advance. It was a huge deal. And then the excitement level the week before hit a whole new level because the hospital president was coming as well. I remember that day dressing nicely. There's no blue jeans for this day. I understood that. And I walked into the department, which was down in the basement, which is normally drab and kind of stuffy. But on that day, I've walked into a whole new world. It was like this posh party. I mean, the atmosphere was different. There were decorations. And folks were greeting me as I walked in the door. Hi, Reverend Joel. How are you doing, Reverend Irvin? Everything changed at that moment. Why? Because two very important people, the president and this distinguished lady from New York City, had come to abide with us. The place was immaculate. There's fancy food set out. I found myself in hospital heaven this day. All right? But what I remember most is the love. How everyone was so affirming. Our room being filled with those two persons changed everything about the relationships I had with all these other people. Not that anyone was being two-faced before, but rather we only had eyes for the absolute best things in one another. We wanted people to do better. We wanted them to do more. We wanted them to see the potential they had. We all saw each other as we're doing mattering work in spiritual care. And we're all about affirming that. Those two people in the room changed everything. My question is, have you experienced anything like that sort of filling? Perhaps when you first came to faith, you're suddenly aware that you're not alone in your day to day, hour to hour, but that the Lord Jesus Christ was with you. The Father had come not just to visit you and then go, no, to abide with you, to walk through every day with you. This is what happens when you're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. It warms every situation, even the bad ones in life, because you know that they're present, they're here with me. I'll be honest, I get tickled pink. This was happening yesterday. When I see us affirming one another here at Heart City Church, we recognize that when we gather here, particularly on a Sunday morning, Jesus, the Son of God, and the Father, Heavenly Father, are right here in our midst. And all of us have been blessed with the same gift, the Holy Spirit. It changes everything about this, this, this atmosphere here, right? No matter our hang-ups, we're all called to the same mattering work, to go out and love others, to encourage each other, to love those who are lost and dying out there, to love like Jesus loved. This is our profession, literally our profession. It's also what we profess. And that's our second word, profession. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Our faith profession before a watching world matters. And it's also proof that we have the Spirit. This verse follows right on the heel of the Spirit. Now, there's some debate over the we here. 
Is the we here only those who literally saw Jesus in the flesh like John? Or is the we those who are also reading this letter who by faith see Jesus as a savior? I got the answer, so my commentaries don't. Yes. Yes. John's point is that our profession is our proof of abiding. What we believe and profess matters. You see, doctrine is indispensable if we're to love others. It is. People say doctrine divides. No, it's indispensable. Our world is lost. We have to say that, lost in sin. In rebellion against holy God, not naturally his children, which means our world needs a savior. And praise God for sending Jesus Christ to be the savior of the world. John's actually quoting phrase that we find in John 4 when he met with the Samaritan woman. Jesus met with the Samaritan woman. Jesus made a special trip out of the way to visit this woman who had so much guilt, so much shame, so much sin. She only went to the well at the worst hour, the hottest hour of the day, so nobody ever see her. She'd never have contact with anyone. And Jesus gently showed her that he already knew everything about her, more than she knew about herself. Yet despite all her selfishness, despite all her brokenness, he let her know, I've come to rescue you. And he said, the hour has come, or the hour was near when true worshipers would worship in spirit and in truth. And the spirit opened her eyes when Jesus spoke the truth. I am he, the Messiah. And suddenly this woman who's too ashamed to be seen by anyone suddenly runs back into town proclaiming, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. He's the savior of the world. What happened there? She experienced agape love, agape love. And she found herself, when you experience agape love, you're unable to contain it. And she went out and was professing this to all her neighbors. Friends, Jesus actually loves using the least likely people to announce his coming to abide in anyone who will simply receive him. Any of us here, any of us here can profess the good news as we're motivated by agape love, the love of God. And we need to, because here's the thing. Every person that you meet this week, every person you talk to, they're already abiding. Full stop. Did you hear that? Every person you meet this week, they're already abiding. Everyone is abiding. There is no neutral ground. Someone or something is their savior. The woman at the well discovered that. You know what her life pattern of abiding was? Every day she went from living lover to the well. And then from the well back to the living lover. Every day, lover to well, well to lover and neither one could ever quench her thirst until the one with living water showed up. Perhaps you're a not yet Christian. I would ask you, what are you abiding in? What is abiding in you? To quote Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? Is it life-giving? And maybe you'll say yes, but let me ask this then. Is it limitless? Limitless in its life-giving. I would invite you to read John 15 today, verses 1 to 10, and place yourself in the scene. 
place yourself in the scene. Listen to Jesus as he looks at his disciples in the same upper room scene and makes this statement. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. Put yourself in that scene. Here's Jesus. He's telling you this. Can you imagine anyone making this claim? Any human being making this claim? Buddha never made it. Confucius never made it. Muhammad never made it. No human being has ever stood up in front of people and says, I am the true vine. In other words, I am the source of limitless life. And we'll go on to say, and limitless love too. <laughs> Jesus is standing there in the flesh. And what is he claiming? He's claiming to be God. He's about to leave these disciples, actually. But wherever they go, wherever they are, you realize what he's saying? I will be present in that place, offering myself still as this limitless life source. I'm in all time and in all space through the Holy Spirit. No human being has ever made such a claim. It's worth considering because if it's true, he's worth all your devotion. He's worth abiding in. If Jesus is who he says he is, he is still making that offer because he's everywhere, every time, every space. He's still making that offer to anyone who hears his voice today. Do you hear Jesus calling you to come and to abide? Jesus is inviting us into a whole new reality that only he can offer. Apart from him, guess what you are? You're just a fruitless branch destined to be burned, to wither, to die. But if we abide in him and let the Father prune away from us what is unfit, guess what? We're going to bear incredible fruit, incredible fruit. All it requires is you to confess him. Verse 15 of our text, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John is saying a concrete evidence of the Spirit's work that he abides in you is our faith profession. Are you able to say that Jesus is Lord and mean it? That's what he's saying. He is Lord, Lord of my life and mean it. You can only do that if you have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Your confession proves that God is abiding in you and you're abiding in God. And by the way, to confess in John's day is not like our day. Lots of folks confess Jesus today. It's no big deal, right? Half our culture confesses Jesus as Lord. In John's day, people were disowned, abused, 
or even slaughtered for confessing Jesus as Lord. It's still happening in some countries today. Another meaning to abide means to continue or to last. Another evidence of your abiding is your perseverance. Pressing on to know Christ when you're under pressure. Fleeing temptation when it comes, saying, Jesus, you are better than that. I'm going to you again. It's pressing on to know Jesus when your past comes back to haunt you again. When you're feeling unworthy of Jesus. 19th century Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane once wrote to a struggling Christian. He never even met him. He wrote this, Do not take up your time so much with studying your own heart as with studying Christ's heart. For every one look at you, take ten looks at Jesus. That is where the Holy Spirit helps us because it is the Holy Spirit's job to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. See, what the Holy Spirit does is he takes the doctrine which is true, right? And he makes it real for us, that we can experience it. In the same way, you can say, well, you can know, well, my father loves me. That's a fact, right? It's all the difference in the world for your father to take you up in his arms, to wrap you up, and you can feel his heart beating for you. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to make real these truths that we find here, because this Bible is not a book of rules. This Bible is an invitation to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember the 12 as they're standing there with all these questions? Jesus does not hand them out answer books, does he? Jesus doesn't give them answers. Rather, he gives them the answer, the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that he and the Father would send another person, the Holy Spirit, a constant companion to make himself real we let the Spirit do His work. That's why Christianity is more than simply a religion with a set of beliefs and rules. It's about a relationship. Having God, the Holy Spirit, is a constant companion. I find it sad when I talk to people about their relationship with Jesus and they say, Jesus is number one on my list each and every day. And by that, they mean I do my daily devotions. And yes, let's let the Word of God dwell in us richly. That's part of abiding. But friends, Jesus does not want to be number one on your daily list of things to do. Jesus wants to be present in your life each and every day, each and every hour, walking with you through the Spirit's work. He does this through the Spirit. I was actually talking with Lucinda yesterday about how the Spirit is there to encourage us to do good, convicting us when something we're doing grieves Jesus, who is with us at this moment. Oh, I don't want to do that. That'd be displeasing because Jesus is right here with me. You either pay attention to the Spirit and that prompting or you harden your heart. It's one of those two things that's always happening. Either you become more sensitive to the Spirit who's bringing Jesus everywhere you go if you're truly His and He's abiding or you're hardening your heart. And we need to pay attention. Every Spirit's tug on your heart. Let him lead us into who to love and how to love them. Because we have a world out there that does not know agape love. <laughs> Do we realize just how incredible it is that we have God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in us? I say this with no jest at all. I'm totally serious. We are the most powerful people on the entire planet because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And I know nobody thinks that of us as they look at this little group. How do you think 12 men 
with little to no education, completely flipped the world upside down. <laughs> Twelve men in that little room. It's because they were connected to the source of love, the source of agape love. By the way, did you notice the Trinity? The Spirit, verse 13. The Father, verse 14. And the Son, Jesus the Son, verse 15. Last time we saw that God is love's source because God is love. And only Christianity can claim that because the Bible teaches us that God is three and one. Yes, this is the mind-blowing doctrine of the Trinity that I still haven't figured out, and I won't. That one God and three persons, right? I can't understand how one plus one plus one equals one. <laughs> but I believe in order to understand, not the other way around, because if I could truly understand who God is, well then, if I can contain him in my little finite mind, then he's not God. And because God is three, we can actually understand how God is love. Three persons loving each other perfectly for all of eternity. And they are our source of love. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for, and actually I prefer the word, in us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I think it better to translate it the love God has in us. Because John is emphasizing this not as a feeling, though that's true, God feels that way, not as a passion, but more that this is a present reality in us. It's as we come to know God, to rest in the reality of his love that is displayed in his word, that we come to discover that we're abiding actually in love itself, in God and God in him. Notice the third time we've read, we abide in God and God abides in us. It's two things there. It's reciprocal. Yes, God abides in us, but it's the other way around. And this is the answer to your postcard anxieties, right? He turns that, we tend to think, you know, the postcard from paradise that we get. No. This is how we need it. God actually, the Holy Spirit takes us up so that we're actually on the warm beach with the breeze. This is not just a postcard experience. We're also abiding with Christ in heaven, as Mark read from Colossians chapter 3. Friends, you could sum up this whole passage as John saying, there is nothing greater in the world than knowing, knowing intimately God, God Almighty. And it's incredible to think that we can, that we can know God. I mean, think about it. This is the creator of the entire cosmos. Come to lodge in your living room. <laughs> think about how great God is. You and I have not had a single thought about God that has come close to touching the magnitude of his splendor, the immensity of his glory. Your best, my best attempt to describe God is like me trying to draw the Mona Lisa with crayons. Okay? And yet God <laughs> invites us to experience him his love, and more and more. And then to invite others out there in. Because that is his nature. He is love, and he wants to share that. I'm going to close with commenting on the verse that we're actually going to pick up next time, and actually next year, because we're starting an Advent series next week. But I close with this because there's a chance that 2024 may not come. Verse 17, By this is love perfected, with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also 
are we in this world? John mentions Judgment Day. Mark read about it earlier in our Colossians text. And Judgment Day is one day closer. Perhaps you know folks right now who are really getting worked up over Israel and over Ukraine. I think I've heard more about World War III in the last couple months than I've heard in the last decade. I'm not worked up at all about that. Why not, Joel? Because nuclear holocaust is only a possibility, but the day of God's wrath is a certainty. We need a bigger vision. As disciples of Jesus, we need to have a bigger vision of reality than our neighbors. We don't get shook up at the storms of life. Why? (laughs) Because by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in the boat with us, whatever boat that is. I've come to realize that my calmness is actually my confession of my confidence in Christ that he's with me. My calmness. It's one of the best things about I can be as a pastor for you guys. Just be calm. Fearless faith is something that our neighbors should experience in all of us, though. Our final word in closing is perfection. But I'm not talking about our love being perfected. That actually isn't the best translation John is talking about God's perfect love and sending Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice and us taking it in so much that it reaches its intended goal and how we live in love. We can have confidence as the end of the world draws near because we are abiding in a perfect Savior. Mark noted a line from a song we sang last week from And Can It Be Amazing Love, that song. No condemnation, now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ, my own, my own possession. Those who abide in Jesus Christ are not only free from condemnation because of the cross, But wonderfully, we're actually clothed in perfection. Jesus' perfect righteousness. We're all saints here. We're as perfect as Jesus Christ in God's eyes. (laughs) Or as John says here, as he is, so also are we in this world. What a glory to ponder. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what manner of love is this? that we should be called your children, and such we are, and that when Jesus returns, we will be made like him, perfect in holiness. But right now, uh, as we wait and hope and purify ourselves, we also purify ourselves because we are recognizing more, and I pray that we'll recognize more and more that, Father, you're here with us in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you've been walking up and down these aisles among these chairs, you're as near to us, in fact, nearer than you were when the, you first spoke these words about the Spirit to the apostles. As we leave here, Father, I ask and pray that you will give us your Spirit a new measure. Oh, will you, if, if we have hardened our hearts, will you uh, chip away at that and begin to soften our hearts that we might respond to the Holy Spirit's call, that we may live to love and live fearless of the future. 
that in fact we might reflect your glory, be able to profess Jesus Christ as Lord to a world that needs to know that there is a Savior, the one that they need to abide in and will fill, fill their hearts to the full and never-ending joy to follow. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.